What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 103, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episodes Summit and The Last Stand. Just Last Stand. And There's no the. No the. Just Last Stand. Just Last Stand. Oh, so this is like Last Stand, like last week. So we're, you know, like, and then there was the stand before that. It's not the Last Stand. It's not the Last Jedi. Well, Just Last Jedi. It's Well... Uh, you know, I think for the Jedi, it is the last Jedi, or I don't know. But, you know, this is just, <laughs> it's just, there's no definite article. It's just Summit. There's no definite article. There, there's there. not even, there's not even an indefinite article. It's just, there's, there isn't even an article. That's true. It's just, it's just last stand. All right. Well, last for this hard-hitting analysis, uh, you can be thankful that we are an independent podcast because if we had advertisers, they would currently be just groaning right now and be like, seriously, guys, you can't do this anymore. And we'd be like, but they, they, they start dropping us, then we'd become an independent podcast. We would become an independent podcast <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> well, friends, uh, you can help keep the thing independent if you wish. Uh, we have a Patreon that folks uh, are subscribing to, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate different little uh, levels and tiers and things that you can uh, sign up for to get yourself some privileges of sorts. Zach will tell you a bit more about that in a bit. And uh, the possibility of forcing us to watch one of the worst television programming things in, uh, in history. Uh, That's all in your grasp if you wish to do that. But if you're a person that's like, yeah, no, you you, nice, nice chick there, Brent, but you're not going to get me to do it. No worries. If you're worried that uh, uh, certain content that is Patreon exclusive is going to be Patreon exclusive forever, the answer to that is no. It'll be Patreon first, but everything that we make will eventually hit the main feed. Have no worries. You can find that main feed on Google Play Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and also wherever podcasts are found, like in aggregator situations. Uh, in those various doohickeys, if there's a way to rate, review, thumb up, star, love, twinkle, I don't know. I don't even know what the kids do these days. Uh, do it because that helps the aggregator and the system and the blah figure out that when people are like, I want to listen to something new and I want something about Stargate, they can find our little podcast here. So, Indeed. um, all that is very, very helpful. Uh, we also have that little thing that if you make an Apple review, With words, we will do a dramatic recreation, but there's a bit of a hiccup if you're an international listener. We can't see what you've done, so send us a screenshot of that stuff. And uh, Zach, if they wanted to send us a screenshot of that and or tell me that I have finally perfected the intro because that was, I think, was was the smoothest intro I've done in months, how might they reach out and let us know that? So if you have been so impressed with Brent's ability to do the intro for this episode that you need to, <laughs> you know, give him kudos and encouragement yeah. to keep this up, then you can do that yeah, by emailing yeah. us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-R-G-E-T at gmail.com. Hope you got that. Yep. Uh, and if you didn't, then just take the name of the podcast and then yeah. put at gmail.com at the end of it. <laughs> yes. And that'll get you there. You'll be fine. <laughs> that'll get you precisely where you need yep. to go. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. On Facebook, we've got a Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate, and a Facebook group. 
Uh, I have noticed that there have been several new people out there who have liked Ooh. the Facebook page and all that stuff, and that's wonderful. And if you've done that and you haven't joined the group, then you should join the group because then you can join the rest of us goofy, 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 goofy people, and uh, <laughs> and we can uh, you know talk about Stargate and stuff. So, speaking of that, Brent, uh, there good. is possibly. Well, there is a plan to have a Stargate convention in Chicago oh, this yeah, yeah, summer. Yeah. And right. we need to make some decisions about whether or not we think the pandemic is going to be sufficiently taken care of that we could go and meet. Uh, Chicago yeah. is not far from either one of us. Um, no. And so that would definitely be a possibility. Um, so pay attention, guys. Let's- Pay attention. Where I'm at right now is that while the while the 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 spirit is willing, the body is weak. Is that how it goes? Or is the other way around? Something like um, that. Uh, that um, boy, I boy, I want to believe you me. Right now, at this stage of life or this stage of the of the situation, I want nothing more than to find myself in a overcrowded space with a bunch of nerds all looking at stupid stuff milling about on top of each other just for the pure reality of that situation, which is not what I've had in any degree at all for nigh on a year. But will the rest of the adults in my uh, clan feel the same way? Um, We'll have to see. So, yeah, but it's happening, and it's in, like, the third week in June, I think, if I remember right. Um, Um, Yeah, I think it's late late June, I think. Um, Late June, okay. So but, put that on uh, put that on your radar. It's in the it's in the lovely lovely uh, uh, suburb of Rosemont. Ah yes, um, yes. <laughs> which is which is technically a stone's throw. It's there's a train you can get on the blue line and go right downtown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Chicago is there ish, but uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So that's happening. That's cool. Um, but we have made, we have decisions to make on that one. Yeah, we Brent and I haven't had a chance to really talk about this. No. Um, like like Brent, I am definitely definitely wanting to go. Uh, there's something about that that uh, slows me down on that front, and it's far enough in the future for right now that I could probably get my ducks in a row at work and in other places and make it sure. happen. Um, but the question is, is it going to be safe and? Uh, effective for a whole bunch of nerds to gather together in one place, all crowded up together like that. So I don't know that. Fingers crossed, man. <clears throat> Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. Um, but pay attention, and uh, yep. if we are able to go, and you are also able to go, drop us a line, let us know, because I would yeah. love to have an impromptu uh, meet and greet with uh, those who love this podcast, who are part of that this. That would be this, a lot of fun. This isn't just about us. Absolutely. It's about all of us. No. <laughs> no, it stopped being about us a while ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so, in addition to all of that, you can also find us on our website at wtts dot space. Every time, yep. gotta do it. Yeah, gotta do it. So, wtts dot space. That stands for walking through the Stargate. Dot space. Just just yeah. be clear on that. Um, or you can also go to, to Patreon. Um, and if you join Patreon, uh, you will get access to uh, our companion podcast, The Other Side of the Gate, with me and David, uh, mm-hmm. as we talk about spoilery things and kind of just chew on all sorts of different topics. Um, we've been talking about... Uh, what have we been talking about? Oh, we've been talking about how uh, the... the uh, Stargate program has been exposed uh, in uh, in public life, 
Um, and so the first podcast that we did, we got through the first five episode, five seasons, and so we'll have another podcast probably uh, to talk about the last half of the series on that. Uh, y- uh, it, I don't listen to you guys' podcast because spoilers, but um, that's a very interesting way to describe what you guys were talking about. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's accurate or not. I'm just sort of like sitting here like, I'm well, very curious. Well, so for example, you uh, Brent, you no, remember no, no. like early on those episodes, uh, was it like the second season um, when we meet Jacob Carter for the first time, right? Uh, yeah. They go to Washington, D.C. and they meet that reporter who has already heard some oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. So right. there are things that have been leaking out into the general I population. See. In that respect. Okay. Right? I got you. Yes. And so there are things like that that we have come across. Um, and uh, even where we are at right now, uh, you know, the... The Russians know about the Stargate program. Who knows who they've been talking about? Somebody in the Germans uh, has to know something about something because, you know, they had a DHD back in, well, maybe not by now, but but who knows? Right. But then right. again, um, you know, Catherine Langford, when she was young in the 40s, they went through the gate once. Um, yep. And so people there know, somebody knows about something. Um, Somebody knows something. So we talked all about Kinsey was that type there. of stuff. And uh, and Kinsey knows, and Kinsey's yeah. the problem, and, and the NID and, and all of that stuff. So we talked about all that stuff. All of those folks, yeah. Uh, all sorts of things. No, that makes sense. Uh, so that's the other side of the gate. Um, and then, of course, we have our Stargate Second Chances podcast, which is when mm-hmm. we get a chance to rewatch episodes that we have already uh, reviewed and uh, give it a second run at. Uh, we've mm-hmm. done a few episodes of that already. We've got another yep. one that we will be recording probably in a couple of days. Uh, all other things yes. being equal. It's on our calendar. Yeah. Um, and so uh, here is where you as a Patreon supporter uh, get your bonus, be- benefits, your bonuses, your whatevers. Uh, you get instant <laughs> access to these. So as soon as they drop, they drop and then you yep. get them right away. Uh, right. They won't drop on the main feed until later than that. Uh, and yep. you also get to vote on things uh, to figure out which episodes we should rewatch. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we have our tally here. The Stargate movie brand yes. has three okay. votes now. So we've got a couple of folks who are interested in having us uh, rewatch. And so David actually mentioned this in in a thread on Facebook. Like when we did our episode zero about the movie, we were 45 minutes. We talked about the whole movie in 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Did did we talk about, did we do, what did we do? I don't even know. I don't remember. I can't remember. That was was like two and a half years ago. I don't remember. That was a very long time ago. Yes. So, um, Stargate movie has three votes. So if you want to vote for that, just join us on Patreon and send your votes that way. Uh, Emancipation has won. The Knox has won. Mm. Bane, your Mm. favorite episode has four votes. Touchstone has two. Seth has one. Forever in a day, two. Ergo, one. Hundred days, three. Beneath the surface, Mm -hmm. one. Tangent, three. The light, two. And then, of course, 2010 does have ten votes. Uh, and uh, that's the one that we'll be uh, reviewing here shortly. Yes. So we've got stuff coming up. Oh, whew. lots coming up. So, Brent. Yeah, lots going on, man. Yeah. yeah. So what's happening next week, Brent? Well, since we got a lot of things going on, 
nothing's going to happen next week. Oh, oh, snap. So, yeah, we got the, you know, like, as is befitting a normal person, normal life happens. And so we got, we're kind of running up into a, a scheduling thing that's just kind of a pain in the neck. And so we, Zach and I were like, how about we just skip a week? And we said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So no, no new content next week. Uh, we know how heartbreaking that is, but we will be back the following week. So it'll be Valentine's Day weekend is when we Indeed. hit back, we get back in. All right. So, so yeah. uh, give your special someone a special podcast for this Valentine's Day and Ooh. show them that you really care. Indeed. You know, hey, you, honey, you could, I got you this random audio. <laughs> you could. As a Valentine, give them a podcast subscription, a Patreon subscription. Ooh! Sorry, there's an idea. There, there, that was hey, a honey, shameless I love plug. You so bad Zach, much. Bad I know that was a good one. No, 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 that was great. Oh. Especially because it's terrible. That is a bad idea. Hey, honey, do you want this Patreon subscription? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind if I borrow it from time to time, do you? <laughs> Well, no. So what you do is you go oh, to you your significant hers? other and you say, significant other, this is what you could get me for Valentine's Day. Oh, is that how it goes? That's how I it see. goes. I see. I um, see. Because I'm assuming, I mean, maybe maybe you and your significant, maybe you could, maybe you listen to this with your significant other and then I bet you, there's you could, you know, do a joint celebration together with a Patreon. I mean, well, I mean, flowers <laughs> die, right? Flowers die after just a few days a week, <laughs> but podcasts a podcast forever. lasts forever. <laughs> Especially this one if we don't get on with it. Oh, boy. Oh, yes, we do need to get we going a lot because to cover. this is a double long. This is a two-episode uh-huh. podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So shall we get into the background facts, Brent? Yes. So the director for both of these episodes is Martin Wood. So that's his fifth Mm -hmm. and sixth episode this season of eight. He did Enemies, Mm -hmm. Ascension, Red Sky, Beast of Burden. And at that point in time, he was basically going back and forth, back and forth with Peter DeLuise. Then he took some Mm -hmm. time off, and then he jumped in here with this Mm -hmm. two-parter. The teleplay for the first part of this episode, Summit, was by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mulley. This was mm-hmm. their fifth of seven episodes. They did Wormhole Extreme, mm-hmm. Desperate Measures, The Tomb, The Fifth Man. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the teleplay for the for Last Stand was Robert Cooper. And this was his fourth of five teleplay credits this season. Uh, Enemies, Ascension, and 48 Hours were his previous episodes. Stick pins in that. Okay. I did not put all that together until just a second, so... Let's talk about that when we get into it. All right, we will do that. Now, this episode, or these episodes, is just chock full of uh, guest actors. We've got Carmen Argenziano coming back as Selmak and Jacob Carter. We've got Anna Louise Plowman coming back as Osiris. We've Mm -hmm. got Courtney J. Stevens coming back as Lieutenant Elliot. We've got Kevin Durand returning as Zipakna. We've got Jennifer Calvert returning as Renal. We've got William DeVry coming back as Aldwin. We've got Vince Cresejo as Yu Huang Shangti. We've got Anthony Oak coming. Oh, wait, no, no. Anthony, he, this is new. Anthony new. Oak. This guy's new, yes. We played Major Mansfield. Um, uh, he didn't last very long in this episode, but he's there. Nope. Um, he was born in 1960 in Montreal, Canada. 
Uh, he's best known for his work on It in 2017 and Cardinals also in 2017. His huh. first IMDb credit came way back in 1984 when he played a gang member in the Hotel New Hampshire. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't a gang member back in Bane? Um, sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. But that was funnier in my head. Never mind. Anyway, carrying on. All right. You know, if he if you want him to be a gang member in Bane, then then the gang okay. members in Bane were hilariously bad. It wasn't, but that implies that Mansfield was hilarious. That's not true. Yeah. Anyway, All carrying right. on. So we have uh, Kwesi uh, Ameya. And I have mm-hmm. no idea if I pronounced it. He plays Olakon, one of the Gould system lords. Yeah. Um, he was born in 1975 in Water, uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Uh, mm. He is known for his work on Capote uh, or Capote, just because it's mm-hmm. fun to say Capote. <laughs> in 2005, <laughs> Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. 2, Monsters Unleashed in 2004, and Man oh of Steel in 2013. Uh, he began acting while studying with the intention to become a lawyer, hmm. uh, but then he decided to become an actor. Uh, he played roles in graduate student productions of David Mamet plays and then was cast as Duncan in Macbeth. Aha. Uh-huh. His first IMDb credit came in 2000, just a couple of years before this episode aired. Uh, the TV show was Higher Ground. Maybe it was a movie. I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, and he played an ER doctor there. So gotcha. there you have it. Mm-hmm. We have Sulika Matthew, who plays Kali, yet another one of the mm-hmm. system lords. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sulika uh, was born in India and was raised in Vancouver. Uh, she's worked extensively as a professional actress in film, television, radio, theater her whole life. Uh, so she's done a whole bunch of stuff uh, that I'm not going to dig into a whole lot. Um, a lot of TNT things. So, okay, uh, from nice. the, the network TNT. Uh, oh, right, not not blowing things not, up. Not blowing things up. Um, and her first IMDb credit came in 1989 when she played Darlene in a couple of episodes of MacGyver. Uh huh. So you have so that. There's the RDA connection. Yep. Um, we have Paul Anthony, who plays uh, Ball's slave, his uh, Lotar, Lotan, Lo- I don't know, whatever. Lowdown? I don't know. And uh, Lower Decks? So he is the inaugural recipient of the British Columbia Entertainment Hall of Fame for Most Promising Newcomer, and has mm-hmm. been lauded by both the Vancouver Sun and the Georgia Strait as the up-and-comer to watch. Now, that would have been uh-huh. a while ago uh, at the time. So, does he have like a thousand credits to his name? Um, he's got a good number, uh, mm-hmm. but not a thousand. Oh. Um, but he's done a lot of things that aren't just film and TV. Oh, right, 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 right. So, and his first IMDb credit is um, the TV movie Harvest for the Heart in 1994 when he played Gary. And that was uncredited. And finally, we have Cliff Simon as Ball. Ah, yes. Um, And I will go into a little bit more detail here with Cliff uh, because this is not the last time that we will see Ball. Um, Oh, okay. Most of the other system lords in this um, don't really come back in any... uh, Like, their names will come back, but, but the actors won't come back. 
Um, so well, you'll hear their names again. But but, yeah. but Ball, yeah. he plays a major role moving forward. Okay. Um, and that might be a little bit of a spoiler, but so be it. Eh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't view that as a spoiler. Okay. He was born in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, he is an Air Force veteran and an international athlete. Hmm. Um, at a very young age, he was inspired to be the first South African swimmer to win an Olympic gold medal. His mother mm-hmm. was a swim teacher and had him in the pool before he could even walk. And so that instilled all of the confidence he needed that he could probably do that. At the age of six, he also showed a great deal of talent as a gymnast. And when he was in his teens, at around 15 or so, he uh, reached the national level in both swimming and gymnastics. But if he wanted to move forward in either one of them, uh, he would have to focus on that one. And so he chose swimming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, there was a lot of turmoil at this point in time uh, in South Africa. And so his parents decided to immigrate to the UK. And so he continued Mm -hmm. his education and his training and all that stuff in in the UK at around 15 Mm -hmm. following. However, uh, eventually he did decide to return to South Africa. And then when he was there, he joined the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Um, And in, in 19, that would have been around 1980 or so. In 1982, okay. after serving his two-year term, uh, Cliff took all he owned in one suitcase and headed down to the coast in an old Fiat convertible. Um, <laughs> and there he uh, did some uh, some uh, uh, water skiing and, and surfing and all of that stuff and, ah, and, and, uh-huh. and kind of was an instructor As there. As you do. Uh, he yeah. also started studying drama. Um and while he did that, he secured himself a modeling agent and enjoyed a lot of success in ramp, in print, and in television commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, he received major recognition as a model in South Africa and was asked to enter the Mr. South Africa Talent and Action Man competition. And he won mm-hmm. it in 1992. Uh and then he was offered an audition on a hugely successful television series called Egoli, Place of Gold in South Africa. And then after guest starring on the show for about three months, he was offered a permanent contract as a regular cast member in a leading role. And he would go on uh, to become a household name for a six-year run. Nice. And that was his, uh, uh, his first IMDb credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, mm-hmm. he decided to moved to the United States with his wife uh, with the hope of having a better quality of life and also giving him an opportunity to dig into an acting career in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, He soon landed a guest role, a guest star role on Don Johnson, uh, with Don Johnson on the hit TV series Nash Bridges. (laughs) Sorry. 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 (laughs) Had a guest star role on Don Johnson. (laughs) I know that's not what you intended at all. Uh, But, uh, you know, anyway, uh, carrying on. In any case, um, shortly after that, he acquired a guest star uh, spot on an episode of Stargate SG-1 to play a system lord named Ball. Uh-huh. And that has led to quite a number of appearances on this series. Okay. Um, and That's he's, good to of course, enjoyed a pretty long and successful career uh, since that time. So there Very you good. have it. This episode, well, these episodes aired on March 22 and March 29, 2002. Uh-huh. Uh, number one on the charts in the U.S. for both of those weeks 
was Still Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez. Apparently, whatever she's doing really is <laughs> very funny. Ha, 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 It's not what she's doing, it's what he's doing. Oh. That's what's funny. Ah, well, okay. There you go. Um, in the UK, for the first week, it was Still Anything Is Possible by uh, Will Young. Uh, mm-hmm. But then a week later... Uh, they decided to change things up and go with Unchained Melody by Garrett Gates. Garrett. There you go. Okay. Yep. So we got that playing I in the background I don't now. know that one at all. You sure do. I do. Oh, my love. Oh. My darling. I hunger for your touch. Wow. Okay. So as Brent continues to serenade me and you and everybody, uh, we talk about the box office for these weeks. So Blade 2, which is one of those things that I kind of wish I had right now, Brent. Or if not a blade, then maybe we have an ice age and I have a big block of ice and I can put you in carbonite or something. I don't know. Uh, or we could get the E.T., the extraterrestrial, the 20th anniversary to come and Ooh. take you away. And we'll have this great show on Showtime. And then uh, there'll be zombies, boy. which is Resident Evil. <laughs> then oh, for the 29th, nice. this happened to be uh-huh. Easter weekend that year, by the way. Oh, um, and, you know, with people rising from the dead, which kind of fits Resident Evil, <laughs> uh, you might need a panic room. Because, <laughs> you know, it's kind of scary. Yep. Um, it's a little bit, And, of yeah. course, uh, maybe it is an Ice Age, and it's the, the end of the Ice Age, which is leading to all these people rising from the dead. Um, but uh, who knows? It's probably just a rookie um, who's just running around and trying new things. <laughs> with a blade. Blade. Oh, uh, back to Blade. And, you know, <laughs> with that blade in a new hand, you just kind of accidentally cut through clocks and you stop them. Clock stoppers is number five. Sure. Sure. I, I didn't have anything there. I had. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, that's fun. That is fun. So. Well done. It, well done. It's, it's hard enough to do one week. It's really hard to do two. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's daunting. Yes. And you, 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 you attacked it with panache. Well, you know, Zest. I got through it. You yes. Know, so there you go. Uh, what was happening at this time? Well, mm-hmm. on March 19, a couple of days before the first of these two episodes aired, the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan Operation Anaconda officially ends. Uh, we mentioned that it started on March 2nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They killed 500 Taliban and Al-Qaeda fighters and... Uh, lost 11 allied troops. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, <laughs> was that shortly before the mission accomplished banner on the, oh. on the, on the carrier? Anyway, it's, it's one of those things of like, of course, hindsight is 2020. I, I don't know if I can use that phrase anymore. Um, oh, I, of yeah. course, everything's clear in hindsight. And, yeah, I don't. Remember. I don't know. There's Zach. There was an awful lot of of I told you so that like over the years I was yeah. feeling just because it's like come on, like yes, of course you're going to be able to roll into the place. That's not the problem. <laughs> Anybody <Yeah>. can roll in. <laughs> it's actually it's, me creating lasting change is the hard yes. part. 
That's right. Um, yep. So that was on March 19th. On March 21st in Pakistan, uh, Ahmad Omar Saeed Sheikh, along with three other suspects, are charged with murder for their part in the kidnapping and killing of Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Also on the 21st, schoolgirl Amanda Dowler is abducted in broad daylight on her way home from uh, Heathside School in Walton on the Thames uh, mm-hmm. in England. Mm-hmm. So I probably butchered that, but that's okay. No, I don't think so. Okay, good. I mean, it's Thames, but whatever. Tem- tem- you know, Thames, you know. See, I, I, I don't do foreign languages very well. Well, this one isn't It's quite. close enough. Anyway. <laughs> we speak American, and they speak okay, all whatever right. they speak. Uh, <laughs> I barely no, do I'm my gonna, language. I'm not going to bicker and argue about how an A should be pronounced, especially when followed by uh, an M. Yeah, like you know, it, but apparently it's it's with an E sound. Thames. Yes. All right, Walton on Thames in England. All right. Yes. On March 24, the 74th annual Academy Awards are held. A Beautiful mm-hmm. Mind wins Best Picture. Denzel Washington uh-huh. and Halle Berry win uh, uh, Best Actor and Actress Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And Halle Berry is the first woman of color to win that Best Actress Award this time, this yeah. year. So, And wasn't it shortly thereafter that she won a Razzie for Catwoman? I... Hmm. So, Halle... I don't know exactly how many actors have this honor of winning an Oscar and a Razzie, but um, Halle Berry definitely got a Razzie for her for her portrayal of Catwoman and did a great acceptance speech. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on YouTube probably, but whatever. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but I think it was technically after she won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and I can't remember which movie she won the Oscar for now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I didn't Somebody find out that there in the internet yep. is just Tell screaming, us. it's from blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Is there a movie called blah, blah, blah? I bet you there is. Anyway, sorry. I don't know. I'm, but in, I'm the, derailing in the TV series Arrested Development, there is a yeah. lawyer named Bob Blah, Blah. Yeah. And his law blog. Yeah. Bob Blah, Blah's law blog. Yep. Absolutely. So, anyway, on the 27th of March, mm-hmm. there is a Passover massacre. A suicide bomber kills 29 people in Netanya, Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but a couple of days later, on March 31, Andre Agassi, the famous tennis player, wins his mm-hmm. 700th career match and captures his second straight key Biscayne. I, I don't know how you pronounce I don't know. A, a, t- a title. I think it's Biscayne? Biscayne? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. know. Anyway, he wins his second straight title of this place with a 6-3-6-3-3-6-6-4 win over Roger Federer at the mm-hmm. NASDAQ 100 Open in Florida. There you go. We have some trivia for this mm-hmm. series of episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the establishing shot of the Palace of Yu uh, mm-hmm. seems to be uh, the north face of the Patala Palace in uh, Lhasa, Tibet. Huh. Lhasa. Interesting. Um, yep. It, it looked, th- there was definitely a familiarity to it. Yeah. It, it was, Which I, was great yeah, shot. I mean, I, I yeah, exactly. And I, and I was, and I, not, not to say that, oh, it was blah, 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 but it was more like, obviously it was supposed to look familiar and it did. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, you was identified as the Jade Emperor. 
Mm-hmm. However, when we first meet him in Fair Game, he was identified as You the Great. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's <laughs> a big difference between these two. Um, however, if you figure that he's actually a Guawuld uh-huh. and is super-duper old, um, yeah. it is uh, definitely plausible that he yeah. could, in fact, be both uh, at different points in history. So Yeah. Um, there you go. So... In the second episode, there's a shot of a system lords biting into live Gould symbiotes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, and now that was filmed with the actors basically biting into long uh, burritos filled with noodles and other things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. And so they would reach in there and then, you know, and that would get the, the entrails and then they CG'd the rest of it. Uh, and apparently they had to do that a whole bunch of times to get that shot, the, the different shots and angles that they needed for that Um, and apparently they didn't taste wonderfully Uh, and so there was a bucket that uh, actually this is a a quote from uh, Martin Wood he says (laughs) Gua Wool normally exists in the form of a rubber prop or CGI but we had to have our actors actually eating something so we had the eight of them standing around a big vat of bubbling water as they reached into the vat a prop guy would hand them a burrito these burritos were filled with noodles, <laughs> beans, and all sorts of things. So as you bit off the head of a Guawuld, its innards would be hanging out. The CGI wizards later worked their digital magic on the burrito and turned it into a symbiote. Which clever. Yep. Clever. I had to shoot coverage for this scene for an hour, and the actors kept pulling burrito after burrito out of the vat and biting into them with gusto. <laughs> the only thing was they couldn't swallow any of this stuff because it was rather unappealing. After every take, I'd yell, cut! And two of our props people, Evil Kenny and his pal Evil Curtis, would rush in <laughs> with buckets for the system lords to spit into. Thank God our actors were good sports. Wow. That's interesting. Indeed. I mean, like, but it kind of begs the question, like, you know, this is something that I've kind of considered before, like, maybe it's because they'll paint kiwis with red paint and expect people to eat it. But, um, like, you'd think that if, if you had a burrito shell, and you knew that you were going to have beans in it, and sure, noodles are weird, but, you know, noodles are also kind of benign. Like, why not add a little bit of, like, you know, why not have a little bit of chunky salsa and some, you know... <laughs> Yeah. Right. And maybe sure. a little shredded cheese. And and so instead of biting into something that doesn't taste like a burrito and is gross, bite into something that tastes like a burrito and is delicious. And then you can CG the noodles <laughs> and maybe use a little bit of the red salsa as a little uh, little little visual uh, spice, as it were. Indeed. But that's what they did. <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> so now being that this was a two parter. The second episode shares the same identical on-screen guest and end credits. And thus, there were several actors who were given credit for both episodes, but they were actually only in the first episode. Yeah, I didn't quite appreciate it, but I did notice Gary Cooper. No, Gary. um, Who's our friend? Gary Jones. But that's him. Uh, Radar. Yeah, Radar. Gary. Gary Jones. Gary Jones. Uh, he was in the first episode, or at least I thought his name was there. Pretty sure he was. Probably. I can't remember. Whatever. But he definitely wasn't in the second one. Nope. But his name was. Nope. I remember, I remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, good. Raider's going to be yep. in this one too, eh? Hmm. Yep. Turns out no. So, um, <clears throat> the name of the uh, world for the uh, uh, Tok'ra was Ravana, 
And this is uh-huh. kind of an ironic reference to the ancient Rome, uh, Roman city of Ravenna. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the letters A and E are reversed there. Uh, in real life, Ravenna is the city from which Julius Caesar gathered his troops before crossing the Rubicon over and overthrowing the Republic. Uh, in contrast to that, uh, ah, okay. uh, we've got what happened here. Which, yeah. You know, so Where the Republic crossed the river and overthrew the Julius Caesar. Yep. So, bad stuff. So, anyway, that, that was kind of cool there. Um, and also, in this episode, we meet Lantesh. Who is yes. Martuf's Guawuld? Yes, and according to the DVD commentary, they were actually one of the original uh, uh, scripts. Actually, had Martuf coming back that they were actually able to save him from that uh, death they shot a few up, you know, a couple seasons ago, whenever that was. Oh, uh, however, oh. J.R. Bourne, who plays Martuf, was unavailable unavailable for filming. And so they had to rewrite it. Um, and it was because of that that uh, Lieutenant Elliot uh, became a member of the show. Gotcha. So there you have it. There you have it. Now, this episode in four, several uh, other languages, the title is uh, Deadlock. For, so instead of Summit, it's Deadlock in French. Uh, Italians and Spanish call it Summit. The Czech call it meeting on the highest level. Okay. Uh, which Summit. makes sense, but kind yep. of, you know. Um, the, uh, the Hungarians call it the summit. The Germans mm. call it new times. New times. New times. Okay. Now, in, for the second episode, for Last Stand, we've yeah. got uh, the French call it uh, No Exit Part 2, which is really interesting uh, because yeah. the first episode... Well, I don't know. So I'm looking at the. I don't. There's a weird translation thing going on here because it's the same. So I have on here the the French, uh, sans issue, uh, part one and part two. But then the the translation is deadlock for the first one and no exit for the second one. So who knows? Huh? Uh, yeah. In any case, for last stand, the, the Italians call it final escape. The Spanish call it the ultimate battle. The Czech call okay. it the last fight. The Hungarians call it the last refuge. And the Germans, oh, the Germans. They call what? this episode Elliot's Major Mission. Elliot's Major Mission? Yeah. So, oh my why, why don't you just <laughs> spoil <laughs> the ending with the title? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess technically, like, he could live, I guess, with that title. I mean, it would have been a lot worse if it would have been like, Elliot bites it. <laughs> right. But but the only thing that Elliot does... I mean, he's on yes. a gurney for the whole episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, gosh. I wonder if that was trying to be... I mean, it's not even a pun on his rank, because he was a lieutenant. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Uh, Elliot's major mission. Although, even in the regular title of Last Stand, like, it... it makes some degrees of sense but i don't know let's so we can get into it so one of the things that's happening here um is even at this point in time they weren't a hundred percent certain they were coming back for a season six. Oh yeah that's right okay and so 
but they did have kind of thoughts, ideas, plans, hopes that of what they were wanting to do after mm-hmm. season five that they would have movies. Oh right. Um, and so one of the things that they have been doing this season, and we saw that a few episodes ago with Between Two Fires, they basically uh, wiped out the Tolan. Right, the Tolan yeah. uh, went from being pretty strong, positive allies to not much of anything. Right. Um, here we also see the Tokra, one of our major uh, allies, oh, dealing yeah. a getting a uh, receiving a major blow and uh, taking a quite a big hit there. Um, everybody on that base basically died, except for yeah. Jacob, and he yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. So, uh, what we're seeing here is the systematic elimination of various allies uh, to ratchet up the tension for our heroes as they delve into whatever may come next. Boy, all we need is, is for the, is, is, is for the Asgard to get wiped out and then I'm going to be real upset. Right. But even, even with the Asgard, we've already seen them, uh, you know, having to deal with the replicators and all of that stuff. So they're very much outside the, uh, Outside uh, the ability to help in any yeah. uh, significant way. so Yeah. Good point. So, Brent. Yes. Are you ready for the synopsis? Let's get into this. Okay. Here we go. The synopsis for Summit. Yes. Previously on Stargate SG-1, Carter kills Martouf so that he doesn't kill the president. Oh, no. Jackson's old girlfriend, Sarah, is taken as a host by Osiris. Oh, no. The Rial can... Make you believe a whole lot of things. Okay. And Tanith is working for a ghoul the likes of which you cannot know about. Yeah, but Tanith's dead. And now, Summit. Zippy, I, I mean, Zipakna, has a chat <laughs> with Osiris. She's doing well for herself, but if she joins Anubis's pyramid scheme, it'll really be awesome. Pyramid scheme? Oh, that's terribly great. Oh, man. Uh, the cool world are running a pyramid scheme. <laughs> now, <laughs> Osiris won't even consider working under Zippy, but Anubis? That's a different story. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the SGC, the Tok'ra are coming to visit. They have a plan. They have a bold plan. And they need Daniel to help. Why Daniel? Because he's not Jaffa, and he can speak fluent Gua'uld. So, SG-1, along with SG-17, I think it's SG-17, I can't remember for sure, but if I remember from yeah, the previous sure. episode that it was 17 yeah. that he was added to, yeah. in any case, 17, uh, you know, Lieutenant Elliot, he's was in, you know, that he's part of this mission. So they follow <laughs> Renal, the Tok'ra, back to the Tok'ra home planet of Ravana uh, to learn more about this plan. On Ravana, SG-1 meets with Renal and Jacob to learn all about their mission, while SG-17 gets an interesting tour led by Aldwin. Would you like to join the tour, Brent? Uh, no, I gotta go check with Teal'c to see if Specs on the rotary girder yeah okay all right well you know if you want you change your mind you join us it's fine great it's interesting okay so daniel's mission he's already chosen to accept it (laughs) is to sneak into the system lord summit as lord use personal servant jaren 
He doesn't look anything like Jaren, but they have a special ring with a needle with a special drug that will make you think that Daniel is Jaren. Mm-hmm. Then, once all the system lords are at the summit, he is to release a dangerous toxin that will kill all the symbiotes on the station, effectively wiping out the Gould political structure. The pyramid scheme is no more. <laughs> Jacob will be assisting Daniel from a cloaked cargo ship, and the rest of SG-1 will stay behind on Ravana and... Wait. Patiently. Wait. So, back to Zippy. Zippy is aware of this Tok'ra toxin, as well as the summit. He sends Osiris to go to the summit as a representative of Anubis, while Zipakna himself takes his fleet to the Tok'ra homeworld to steal the toxin and eliminate the Tok'ra once and for all. <laughs> once Zippy gets to Ravana, he begins to bomb the planet around the gate. He also dials into the gate so that the Tok'ra can't dial out and escape. Things are looking really bad for our heroes. The Tokra tunnels are collapsing left and right. Tokra are dying right and left. And Renal's lab, Renal shows Carter that Lantash, you know, Martuf symbiote, survived and is currently in stasis. Unfortunately, this room is not protected from the bombardment, and the ceiling collapses. Renal dies. Major Mansfield of SG-17 dies. Lieutenant Elliot gets crunched, and Lantash's stasis chamber is broken. Covered by a strong shell of plot armor, however, Major Carter survives mostly unscathed. Because, you know, title characters don't die. Not like that. No, no. Uh, as she sifts through the wreckage, she realizes that Lantash has entered Lieutenant Elliot. Elliot. Elliot! I can't talk. Both are super weak, and Lantash will work to keep them both alive while Elliot speaks for the both of them. Back at the conference of the system lords, uh, the conference, the summit, is delayed when a request is made, presumably by the mysterious enemy, sent to send his own representative to the council. Wow, I can't read that right, but that's okay, you got it. The system lords <laughs> agree to hear out this representative's proposal and allow her entry. It is Osiris. <gasps> bum, bum, oh, bum. no! Just as Daniel is about to, like, destroy everything, he sees yeah. Sarah. And he's like, I can't kill her. And she sees him. And she recognizes him. Oh, no! Daniel is taken yeah. completely off guard and decides not to release the poison yet. When the council breaks, he hastily informs Jacob of the situation, and before they can work out a plan, Osiris corners Daniel and reveals that she does indeed remember who he is, and that he is a long way from home. Mm-hmm. To be continued. Yes. So, Brent. Yeah. What happens next? Okay. <laughs> so... Osiris pulls a dagger on Daniel after finding him alone in Yu's quarters. Before she can do anything, he grabs her wrist, pricking her with the real, with the real chemical, and she looks confused. And Daniel convinces her that he is Jaren. He contacts Jacob again and explains what has just transpired. He has decided not to release the poison because he wishes to save Sarah. Jacob reminds him of what is at stake and tells him that he must release the poison immediately. Meanwhile, the rest of SG-1 and Lieutenant Elliot slash Lantash are still trapped in the Tok'ra tunnels. Oh no! Lantash 
tells them that they may be able to construct more tunnels if they can get their hands on some of the tunnel building crystals back in the lab. Teal'c and O'Neill, they're on the case. They go to find the crystals, while Carter and Elliot, who is still too weak to walk on his own, remain where they are. O'Neill and Teal'c acquire the crystals, but they are cut off by Jaffa. Another bombing run, commen- bombing run commences, and Carter and Elliot are trapped between two cave-ins. Things look bleak. Oh. Meanwhile, Osiris is addressing the system lords, telling them how weakness is befalling them and how they must join together or be destroyed. Daniel is about to release the poison again when Osiris reveals to the system lords that she has been sent by another Gwauld, Anubis. <gasps> don't, the don't, system don't. lords had believed that Anubis was dead. Only you remains of the system lords, which banished and attempted to kill Anubis, but none in attendance today like the idea of allowing him to return. Osiris informs them that their only other option is to place themselves at the mercy of Anubis. Daniel reports back to Selmak, and they decide that releasing the poison would only accelerate the domination of Anubis, who is apparently the most black-hearted ghoul who had ever existed. Selmak tells Daniel that Anubis was banished by the system lords because his crimes were unspeakable even to the ghoul. Ooh, that hurts. That's some bad. That's bad, some bad, bad. Bad man. Bad, bad, bad. Bad. O'Neill and Teal'c managed to kill the Jaffa, pinning them down, and they return to where they left Carter and Elliot. But when they arrive, oh yeah, and when they arrive, they make radio contact. Uh, and Lantash tells them to use one of the crystals that they have retrieved to make a short straight tunnel, which should connect their two tunnels. Use the square one. Right. N- not that one. No, no. The, 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 uh, the more square-like uh, one. Uh, uh, that one. Try that, that one. That one. That one. Thunk. Uh, it works! Hey! And Teal seals the tunnel behind them with this real casual, like, over-the-shoulder blasty boot. Sealed. They continue creating tunnels and moving further away from the main base. Elliot tells them that the Tok'ra have broadcast a signal which will warn any potential rescuers to stay away from the planet. However, SG-1 decides to reprogram one of the signals to send an SOS to Daniel and Jacob. They use one of the last crystals to get up to the surface and begin the 22-mile walk to the nearest broadcaster. I know, right? When walking... Oh, we're bouncing back and forth. Okay, fine. Back at the other ranch, while walking through the space station in which the summit is taking place, Daniel finds a tank with a number of ghouled symbiotes inside. Later, Osiris meets in private with you, who is opposed to the idea of allowing Anubis back among the system lords. With, with Osiris, me? I don't remember being yeah, there. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you and Osiris were there. Oh. And Osiris tells you huh. of her master plan. Huh. You remember that? Uh, uh, apparently not. I'll get you up to speed. Okay. Since Anubis is not a system lord, the Protected Planets Treaty does not affect him, nor does it require the system lords to retaliate against him. A Gua'uld who is supposedly dead, he offers to destroy the Tauri as an offering to the system lords before joining their ranks. Hmm. Hmm. Daniel reports this information back to Selmak slash Jacob, and they realize that the Gua'uld are planning on making their human slaves into hosts as soon as the summit is over. Or killing Daniel them. Daniel decides, right, yeah. somehow Daniel decides that it's wise to wait 
even a little longer before making his escape. Daniel has the opportunity to speak with, uh, side note, this is where I had to make some adjustments to the synopsis, and I can't remember the order of which these things happen, so here's this paragraph. Daniel has the opportunity to speak with Baal's Lothar. He reveals that he too knows the true nature of the ghoul. Oh, so Baal's Lothar reveals that he too knows the true nature of the ghoul. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Lothar, or at least this one, enjoys his position because of the hope that one day, if he has served their ma his master well, they, there's a whole lot of they in here. Okay, I'll run with A. Well, they so enjoy at this point in time, he's the the the, the synopsis here. So, uh, you know, we we oh, take they're just talking about Lotar in general. But, but he, we're yes. something here that all of the Lotars think the same thing. Yes, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so if they do their positions right, one day they will be masters as well, and they'll be granted the honor of implantation. Daniel's attempted Talk intelligent about a, gathering a pyramid scheme. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's that's it's 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 it just it's the gift it keeps on giving. Indeed. Daniel's attempt at intelligent gathering backfires when Baal's Lotar warns you, you Zach, me. that uh, Daniel cannot be trusted. No, not you. Not not me. You. But you. Mm -mm. You. Yeah. You. Yeah. You. You. Yeah. But not me. No. Okay. When the council next meets, Baal opens a note. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I misread it, and I'm laughing at the. <laughs> At the you joke. Anyway, when the council next meets, Baal opens a vote on whether or not to accept Anubis back. I don't know. And I think it would be funnier if he had actually had a note that he opened up. Just like, Baal opens a note. Oh, what do we have here? Mm -hmm. Oh, he should we accept Anubis back? Yeah. And then six to one, everyone says, that's a good note. The motion oh. passes six to one with only you opposing his return. <laughs> Me? I don't remember no. the You keep talking you. about me, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> then, before continuing the summit meeting, they bring in the symbiotes. <gasps> Instead of allowing them to blend with their slaves, each of the system lords, plus the representative of Anubis, take one. And they eat the symbiotes! Oh. Daniel's horrified. Daniel next attempts to steal Yu's cargo ship and leave with Osiris. He has learned of the attack on Ravana, the base of the Tok'ra, and communicates this information to Selmak. He manages to brick to, you know, he manages to capture Osiris in the cargo ship, but is attacked by you. Oh, you me. releases Osiris. Oh. No, you. You, okay. you releases Osiris, but she assumes that he is behind her capture and stabs him with her dagger. Before Osiris can kill Daniel, you gets up and begins wrestling with her for control of the dagger. Daniel escapes on the cargo ship in escape pod, and Selmak picks him up. A lot Whoa. happens in that 90 seconds. Yes. Del, Del Mac and Saniel. <laughs> Daniel and Selmac arrive at Ravana and cloak immediately after leaving hyperspace. Lord Zippy is there, however, and aware that the ship has entered the system. Daniel and Selmak receive the automatic warning telling them that the base has been compromised and Jacob decides that they should leave. However, at that exact moment, SG-1 finally makes it to one of the broadcasters and reprograms it. And Jacob receives, at that exact moment, the SOS. Ooh. They go in to land on the planet. And a number of gliders lock onto their heat signature as they enter the atmosphere. They take heavy damage and they crash on the planet's surface. But SG-1 see the crash and start off toward the downed cargo ship. Daniel and Selmak leap. No, they don't. They don't see that. SG-1 doesn't move anywhere. 
They're right back where they're, they're, at, the, they're at the transmitter the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Poorly written. Anyway, Daniel and Selmec leave the ship, at which point this thing is beyond a quick repair. And they manage to meet up with SG-1 somehow. And they decide that the only chance is to escape through the Stargate. Since Daniel still has the poison, O'Neill decides to take it with him. And once he gets near the Stargate, release it into the atmosphere in the hopes that it will kill all the Jaffa guarding the Stargate. Teal'c does not think he would he Teal'c does not think he could make it to the gate either. Teal'c does not think he could make it to the gate either, but Leonard, Well, n- nobody's convinced that they'll actually make it to the gate, but it's the best thing they got, but y- Yeah. Yeah. But that sentence wasn't in there. Whatever. Everyone's like no, this isn't going to work. But 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 but, but Lantash comes up with a different plan. He will take the poison from Daniel and the others will hide when the Jaffa find Lantash. He will tell them that he knows how to synthesize the poison. And when they take him to the base camp to tell him, teleport him up to the mothership, he will release the poison himself. Lantash and Elliot insist on the plan, as they are near death anyway. Sam says her goodbyes to Elliot and Lantash. SG-1 and Jacob dash into the forest. The Jaffa saxophone sounds. And they are coming. They are here. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Summit and last stand. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? So, this is now two episodes where there's a lot going on. <laughs> like, yes. This one, it makes sense why there's a lot going on. We watched two episodes um, for a single story. And the second half of the story did not quite click as neatly as the first half or it certainly didn't have quite the same vigor as the first half which is why i wanted to stick a pin in who was writing the teleplay for each of these episodes i uh didn't notice that it was uh joe malazzi and paul molly who wrote the first one and robert cooper robert cooper uh who wrote the second one but um as you were rattling off the episodes that uh, Malazzi and Mully had written, I was realizing that plot points of their episodes were uh, the, 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 they were the scenes that we were seeing in the first episode previously on Stargate. They like, it was those stories mm-hmm. that were being referenced at the start of summit. And that's great. That makes sense. If you wrote those episodes, you would then have that kind of understanding and living memory about those episodes and be able to pull aspects of those stories. Even if you didn't intend it to be manifested in this particular way, you could pull that out and retcon it and you'd have yourself a, you know, a great launching point, which is exactly what Summit was looking like it was doing. Um, and then to have that second half be a little bit uh, less uh, awesome to be a little bit less uh, um, congealed. I don't know. That's not the best word. Uh, knowing that the writer was somebody else suddenly made that part make a lot more sense. Mm. Like, like the baton got handed and it just wasn't quite the same. It didn't quite have the same pace as the first episode did. But um, what did I think? Uh, the story, um, I like that the story is getting complex. I like how they built up the reveal of this apparently new bad guy that we have, this Anubis dude, mm-hmm. um, who's apparently just, just terrible, um, which 
I have yet to see because I have heard that line a few times about different ghouls, <laughs> only to watch them get blowed up in very insignificant ways or to find themselves cratering into a planet or to be just eliminated with a pen stroke, thus allowing somebody else who is the, like the, the cheesiest, worst, best bad guy to suddenly ascend to primacy only to be then written off in a weird way or to be blown up out of a cockpit. I mean, like, like it's just, it's just, Thing after thing. So, you know, jury's still out. We'll have to see about this. Fair enough. Um, however, on paper, uh, we have this incredibly ancient Gould who has been imprisoned in a tomb for a very long time because he was a jerk who appeared, to, who appears to uh, kind of get a little weak need at the mention of Anubis. Which is interesting to me that Osiris, who apparently was so bad that he got in, he got imprisoned. I mean, not not so bad because Gould's imprisoned him, but I'm just saying, like you know, he was he was he was a no good person, right? No no good Gould himself gets stuck in a jar for a while, um, and even this even Osiris is getting a little weak need at the mention of um, of Anubis. So kind of interested to see how this plays out. Um, sure. Seeing a lot of friend uh, friendly faces, <laughs> they're not friendly. Seeing a lot of familiar faces is a lot of fun. Um, I did enjoy uh, the return of so many of the guest actors reprising a number of roles. Um, the Elliot story was a little weird. Um, not bad weird, just a little weird weird. I don't know. It didn't feel like it quite had the same. It, it didn't. It didn't seem to click that well hmm. for me. Um, no particular reason. It just, it just, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't jamming on it that much. The, the amount of green that he was exhibiting was quite noticeable. Um, but somehow that didn't translate into anything from my viewing other than like, you know, eager actor gets a second role. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's just, it just, it just didn't click. Um, and, so we got the setup of Anubis. We've got SG-1 and SG-17 rolling out to go meet up with the Toker again. We've got this big plan to take out the system lords in this strange opportunity. I liked that setup. The right. setup of the story was really good. And I liked the choice of Daniel Jackson. I liked watching Jackson take on the challenge. I liked watching... Michael Shanks portray the conflict that Jackson was having as he was walking through this. There was a tiny bit about it, which felt a little disingenuous and I'm not sure why exactly, but you know, you could see sort of the Jackson's struggle with this, but he's committed to doing it. Um, but it was also written over and acted um, with an awful lot of mystery shrouding it. Or let me rephrase that. It's more like, um, what we saw was Jackson hiding his feelings, even though you could tell he was conflicted and mm. you could tell that he was committed, but we didn't get any exposition about it. We weren't given an insight as to why he was conflicted, even though we could infer it. We didn't get to hear him say it. Right. Um, right. So that seemed like a miss, but not the best, uh, not the worst miss. So, but that whole situation was really intriguing and the poison that could totally knock out the, the, the ghouls, great stuff and the information about it. Awesome. Uh, and then the attack 
pouncing on the Tok'ra, that felt plausible. Like that was like a moment of like, okay, like this is this is a big deal. This is a big problem. The Tok'ra have been able to right. stay a step ahead, but they can't stay a step ahead now. And things are things are things are bad, and things are getting real bad real fast. Um, thank you for kind of reminding me that this season is indeed kind of closing the chapter on a lot of allies that we have right now. And so this, when when viewed in that light, um, seeing the chapter on the Tok'ra seeming to close um, is a, it's, it's a little bit easier to sort of like, not to accept per se, but it, it, it clicks a little better, right? Like I get it. Like, okay, yeah, wow, this is a bad thing that's happening. Earth is finding itself with fewer and fewer allies. Right. Um, this is a big deal. Uh, thank goodness that Carter was able to get a hold of the crystal that contains the information for the ghoul defeating poison. Um, maybe someday we'll be able to read crystals on our hard drives, but maybe, but who knows when that'll be. <laughs> so, um, so that's, that's good. All right. But I've just talked about the first episode. I haven't even begun to talk about the second episode at all. Right. Well, so there's a, little a bit whole about lot Anubis. of stuff. That's mostly in the second episode. Yeah, but I mean, even in my head when I was talking about it just now, I'm literally thinking about that scene at the beginning where Osiris and Zippy are talking, and Zippy reveals that he's working for Os- for Anubis, and Osiris goes, whoa, hold on. Right. <laughs> That's different. Um, And so the setup was really good. I really like the setup. And then the payoff, it was a little slow. Um. It felt like this story was not quite two full episodes of story. It felt like it was more than one for sure. Right. But it wasn't two. And so as a result, you had to fill dead space in the second episode. And it wasn't like there was an awful lot of dead space per se. It's just the rhythm felt off and it didn't feel like it had that kind of urgency that you would think it would have. And... um. I think it's manifested at that tail end, right? When I'm kind of making a a quip about how much happened in that 60 seconds of television time where Daniel traps Osiris and you pops in and opens the door and Osiris stabs you and you goes down and Daniel's like, oh my God, you know, almost gets stabbed by, by Osiris and he fakes her out for a half a second. Then you jumps on Osiris and Daniel runs out to, you know, like there was a lot happening in that, in that very small amount of time. Indeed. And I think it stood out because at that point the pacing was much slower. It was it was it was developing in sort of these two paths. You got the A story, the B story, and I'm not sure which one was which. I'll call the uh, Daniel Jackson the A story. Um, it was it was setting up like a like 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 a political intrigue, right? Like you know you don't necessarily have to have a whole lot of body action going on in a political intrigue because the story is about the intrigue itself. And then you and your B story, you have our heroes are trapped and they have to get out. And that one also felt a little bit trite because how they got out was shoving crystals in the wall. Um, And there was no, you know, other than that the crystal walls existed and time was running out because one of our beloved characters was dying. Like, it just kind of felt like, oh, yeah. And by the way, they're still trying to get out of the uh, out of the caves. Oh, yeah. And by the way, um, Lantash slash Elliot, you know, Elliot's kind of realizing what it's like to have a symbiote inside him and it's weird. Um, You know, like, you know, there was, it was happening, but so you get to the end and on one hand, you've got this colossally interesting uh, revitalization of the system Lords and the ghoul with this guy, Anubis and his representative Osiris. 
And on the other, you have the SG-1 team plus Elliot uh, trying to escape and ultimately succeeding, but it's a little bit clumsy and it's definitely requiring a lot of self-sacrifice and, uh, you know, it's, it's meant to be a weighty moment and it, and it is. So we close out this story with a whole lot of like unknown about what's going to happen next. Like this is a major, or at least it feels like a major moment in the story that, uh, at least I'm. I feel like I'm supposed to be taking away that something big is transpiring here because it ends on a heavy down note. And it feels like that last episode wasn't particularly the best vehicle to land on that note. It was just a little bit not, it just didn't click. So I've talked an awful lot. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know if I've said much. So what do you, what do you think about this episode? Yeah, so, I was just waiting for you to go through your process there. Um, sure. So you mentioned there that that this is a at the end of this episode, and and I will kind of just talk about it as as an episode because it's yeah, just one sure. story. Uh, at the end of this episode, uh, you've got the system lords uh, certainly got a lot of issues going on, but they definitely seem to have this revitalization with with Anubis joining the ranks and and the yep. promise that he's going to take out the 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 Tauri um before doing all of this stuff and so um you know you got all of that and then you got that juxtaposed with uh the SG1 team that uh you know they went to the planet with two teams and they're walking away with one team yeah. uh everybody else died uh the Tokra have been uh decimated or even perhaps more than decimated. Technically, um, actually, technically, yep. it's it's way more than than decimation. Yep. Um, it's because like nine summation. Yeah. Well, there's like ninety ninth percentile mation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very bad. Very very, very, very bad. bad. Very bad. Um, you know. Um, so you know you got that, and then you mentioned that this kind of feels like a big moment, and I mm-hmm. will say that. Um, that it is a big moment, uh, for the meta narrative of SG One. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so if you felt that, then that's good because that's what this was. It was designed to be that. Um, um, yeah. So this episode overall is one that you can't skip it. You gotta see it. I yeah. really, really love how this episode takes all sorts of stuff that has happened in the past and adds it to this episode. Yes. Right? So, like, uh, Zipakna comes back, uh, which we haven't seen since um, Scara and Chlorel were fighting over Scara's body, right? Yeah. Um, and he, at that point in time, was working for... Um, was he working for the System Lords? Uh, at that point in time, I think the... the, the Apophis was ostensibly dead at that point in time, so he wasn't working for Apophis per se. Right, I can't remember who, but, but it certainly wasn't the unnamed bad guy at that time. Well, no, certainly not. But but so he was. So here we've got Zipakna, who is this toady of a bad guy who is yes. going to find out whoever has the most power and latch onto him. Uh, we get more of that going on here, which is why we see Osiris at the beginning, just you know, saying blowing him off. It's like you know. 
I, I ain't working for you, period. Right. You, you're dumb. Right. <laughs> um, totally. But then we get Osiris back, which is, you know, a callback to, uh, you know, the curse and uh, uh, Sarah coming back and, and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And, of course, here uh, we get some of Daniel's motivation. Um, you know, there's some trepidation early on about using this poison because it means a lot of things, uh, especially to the Jaffa which we can't think of now as just simply uh, enemy fodder because right. we've already started to learn that, that you know, they are kind of stuck in a situation where they can't get out of. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then you juxtapose that with the Lotar slave of Ball, who's like, woohoo, I love Ball, and I want to be a good old if I can be. Wouldn't that be blissful? Right. Um, right. Uh, so you've got all of these things that are calling back and, and just interweaving together. Uh, I really like that interplay, and it just makes the whole series feel richer and thicker. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you got the callback from to the Rial uh, and the Fifth Man, where they take that substance. Apparently, they were able to contact them in some way uh, that they could... Uh, work that substance out to to be something like this uh which is really good for the tokra to have because uh they're all about subterfuge and spying and all of that yeah mm-hmm. um uh, and when it gets down to it that's all they have because they really don't e- they don't even have a stockpile of staff weapons they've got zat guns um, right um so you know you've got that uh the the return of elliot is uh I appreciate that because we just saw him. He's eager. Um, he is very much an eager beaver at the beginning, uh, and then he get, gets crunched by rocks and then gets a snake in his head, and so he's kind of mm-hmm. himself. Uh, but at the end, you know, he's like, uh, you can tell that he is scared. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I thought that the very end, uh, where it's raining and, and he's just close up on his face, and you hear the the horns blaring in the background, um, and you know what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do, and even with the the Gulwuld inside of him, that fear um, and and resolve all mixed in one is on his face, yeah. and it's just uh, it is really really palpable. Um, and I actually really appreciate that. Um, I don't know how you felt if you felt like. So I have a friend who's been watching the series and at this point in time, he's like in season nine or 10. Um, mm-hmm. But several months ago when he w- watched this episode, he texted me and he's like, is that really how this episode ends? And I'm like, yep, that's really how it ends. Um, and while there are plenty of people who uh, kind of questioned whether or not they cut a scene or anything like that, uh, they didn't. This is how this, the story was supposed to end. Um, we did not need to see uh, SG-1 make it to the gate. We did not no. need to see uh, Elliot get captured by the Jaffa and taken to the gate and set off the bomb, the, the toxin, mm-hmm. to go off. Uh, all of that can be presupposed in the sound of that horn and the close-up on his face. And I think it yeah. works really, really quite nicely. Uh, um. You know, so and then this is this episode that that has a lot of uh, Gould politics in it, right? You, you get mm-hmm. to see uh, the system lords gathered together as one. You know, we've heard about the system lords being this thing, 
and we've seen various system lords, um, and we know that people rise up and fall down from being system lords and, and all of this stuff, uh, but we haven't really seen them interact with each other. Uh, and here we got seven of them together, and they're they're debating things, and they're like, well, somebody's been attacking me, and they're like, well, I don't like you, and so you've been attacking me, and, and he's been attacking her, and and all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I appreciate all of that. That just uh, adds some some flavor to that. Uh, and aside here, um, a couple of the, the system lords, um, one of them in particular, the, the one who had... Uh, kind of the, the the black spiky outfit and and her lotar yeah. was was like in SM gear almost yes um mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of that goa wold uh but that was an extra I mean technically because she didn't have any lines uh she just uh, sat right. there and yep. I felt personally that she did not look like a goa wold she did not look I mean well, not that, you know not that she didn't look like Google she didn't look like a system lord uh you know all of the rest of them had a certain uh menace to the way mm. their faces looked yeah and i got to her as they're scanning the room and i'm like oh that's the most deadpan menace i've ever seen <laughs> um <laughs> and, and i just i've always felt that 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 is a weird just you know just, just a, that doesn't fly for me it just she it didn't yeah Sure. Um, uh, so, but, you know, other than that, still the, the, the Gua Wuld, uh, is good. I, I like the, uh, introduction of Anubis in this. Um, and you mentioned that we've seen other bad guys, Sokar and Apophis together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who were raised up to be this giant bad guy. And then Sokar was just like, oh, he's done. Yep. And then, yep. you know, the near incompetence of, Apophis raised up to that um, and all of that stuff that goes on. Um, here we have the introduction to uh, Anubis and without spoiling too much uh, I can say that uh, um, I think that you will be far more pleased with Anubis than you were with uh, both uh, Sokar and uh, Apophis. Gotcha. So Good. Um and knowing that, then to see this, and you know, when he's announced, I'm like, no, he can't be. He's dead. But no, he's not dead. Uh, right. You can tell that all of the system lords, yes, um, yes, are afraid of this guy, um, and and they haven't even met him yet. Uh, you know, so uh, I appreciate that. I like that. Uh, I'm just kind of bouncing all over the place. I do love some of the the physical humor and uh, timing that Richard Dean Anderson brings to O'Neill, especially in the first episode, uh, mm-hmm. from uh, starting to run down the wrong hallway and then turning around and catching yes. up with Jacob. Yes. Uh, to the oh, interesting doesn't quite describe yeah. how I truly feel. <laughs> I loved that line. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I also, I, I appreciated like Alduin apparently is completely oblivious to this. And he's like, well, yes. join us if you want. And you could see in Elliot's face, he's trying not to burst out laughing. Uh-huh. Uh, you uh-huh. know, uh, Elliot recognizes, I think Elliot is genuine. I think he actually does appreciate this. There's something about being off world uh, is it kind of boring and dry? Yeah, but there's the newness. There's there's the uh, you know 
this is information that he doesn't have, and he wants the information. He wants the stuff. He's soaking it up like a sponge. So I think he's actually really fascinated by it. I think he thinks it's really is truly interesting. Um, but he also I, recognizes that uh, that O'Neill doesn't find it interesting. I think my biggest problem with the Lieutenant Elliot character is not that big of a deal. It's just when I'm talking about that greenness. Uh, I felt like I was watching sort of the SG-1 equivalent of Wesley Crusher. And mm. it's it's not that it's bad. It's just that it was written to be so, um, just so cheery. And not, that's not even the right way to say it. Like, it's not like I'm saying, Lieutenant Elliot was super cheery. He should have been more dour, a bit better. No, it's not that. It's He was eager. It's that, Is that the right word? Yeah. I mean, maybe it was like an over-eagerness. And it was just, and, and it's not like it's bad in and of itself, but it just didn't click. I don't know. It, I, I, it, it really just could have been, you know. Me and the mindset I was in when I was watching it, but you know, just watching, just watching, just watching Lieutenant Elliot be like, "Yay, I'm gonna do this!" And wow, that sounds really derisive. I don't mean it that badly at all. Um, so maybe, maybe this is a better way to kind of come at it. Elliot at the beginning of the story was fine, but he was a little bit, he was a little, he was a little into it to a point that Brent was like, "Eh, yeah, whatever, come on, let's move along." Uh, Elliot at the end of the episode, the end, yeah, the episode, uh, the end of the story, right? Portraying mm-hmm. Elliot slash Lantash, making the decision to sacrifice himself for the team. Um, uh, Courtney Stevens did a brilliant job in that, in those scenes mm-hmm. at the end there. Mm-hmm. And, and Courtney was doing a fine job of, um, portraying the character as written up until that point you know, with all the ups and downs and the turns and the twists and representing this, like this, this new state of understanding between the relationships that, that Marouche, Maruth, Marouche, Maruf, Martouf, all sorts of wrong, uh, that Martouf and, uh, Sam had, right. You know, there was, there was a lot in there that the actor had to portray well, and he did, he did a great job with it, especially at the end. Um, So the critic, and it's not even really a criticism of the writing per se. It's just a little bit of like, you know, all right, here's the green kid. All right. And yep, there he is. And he's, he's in the hallway with the people and watching the big shots politely decline a tour of the facility. You know, like there was stuff about it. that was like, it was fine. It was fine. Maybe what it was is that, um, I was much, 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 much more interested in the a story in the first season or the first episode than the B story the A story of the summit and the uh, espionage to, I don't know if it's espionage, but you know, the, 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 the breaking into the thing and releasing a toxin and the subterfuge of that whole moment. And, um, and the B story was the, um, you know, the attack on the Tokra. Right. And the B story was necessary and the B story set up a lot about the second episode. Um, but every time I was cutting back to the B story, I was just kind of anxious to get back to the A story. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to see more about what was going on in that summit. I wanted to see more that was going on with the 
engagement of the different system lords in that room. Um, there was a piece of it which was not particularly rewarding in so much as that they were behaving like system lords as we've seen them up till now, kind of petty and um, uh, overly uh, swift to blame each other for their for their own misfortunes and you know like like by no means trusting of anybody, which is of course on, on brand, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, we've been down that road a thousand times. I didn't right. need to see more exposition about that, but still having the, the situation kind of play out was something that was, I, I was very interested in watching that thing keep moving forward. And then of course, having Osiris arrive and having her recognize Daniel, I kind of wish that that had been played out a little bit more. Uh, I felt like at the end of the first episode, like, here we go. She recognizes Daniel. What's going to happen? And then within, what was it, a minute <laughs> in the second <laughs> yep. episode, bang, it was resolved. And it was resolved plausibly. It was fine. Uh, glad it worked out. But it would have been pretty interesting to see a situation where Jackson has to think on his feet in order to keep Osiris from blowing his cover. So do you and think that he there was anything that he could have said to her? Yes. 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 I think that he could have told her that he was about to kill everybody in that room. And he wasn't going to tell her how. And he was going to give her that information so that she could get off. Now, granted, he chose not to because he had it's not like plot armor. He had plot insight. Right. He was able to discern through 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 plot power that um, eliminating that room of Ghoul was only going to pave the way for this this bad guy that that strikes fear in the hearts of Ghoul. Right. Uh, you know, to, to, to walk on in. But Jackson has no frame of ref. No, I guess he does, because because Selmec said, like, this guy's so bad. Um. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll get off that high horse a little bit. But yeah, I do think though that if he was still intending to wipe out that room, the thing that he could have told Osiris that would have allowed Osiris to keep his cover from getting blown would have been, yeah, I'm going to kill everybody in this room. Um that's going to give you the opening that you want. So, how about you leave and let me do my job? I don't um, think that that would have worked. I think that that at that I point in time you. she would have stabbed him and searched whatever he had to find whatever oh. it was whether even if she didn't know what it was no. he has to have something and she she's smart enough to figure out what it was yeah, um I uh i think I'd, i'm not convinced that there is anything that he could have said to her to convince her not to run him through um with the exception yes. of making her you know however i will counter by saying while i hear you and i agree with you um, these are stories about heroes, Zach, mm -hmm. not everyday people. So hero Daniel Jackson obviously would have been able to figure out something that would have convinced Osiris not to kill him. Well, see, I don't think there I was. It, I don't think, I don't it, think that there. Turns out that turns out like hero Daniel Jackson had a tool on him that did the job for him. It just resolved really, really swiftly. That's all. I, I, I will acknowledge that it resolved swiftly. Um, I'm not convinced that there was any other way that Daniel could have resolved that and yeah, maintained fine. his uh, breathability. Um, yes. So breathability. <laughs> but yeah, so there's 
so yeah, so I kind of have a kind of a, a, a conflicted view on this story. There's a lot about the story that I really, really like. There's just kind of ways in which it was delivered that didn't really feel like it gelled. Like, sure. It felt a, felt a little lumpy here and there. So was it bad? No, it wasn't bad at all. It was actually pretty good. So I have two points that I want to add that we haven't talked about. Um, mm, they I, might I, I have be related one I, to things we've talked about or not. I don't know. Uh, one, we've talked yeah. about the A and B story. And yeah. from the writer's perspective, um, uh, this was designed to be an A and another A story. Okay. So that... Uh, and and uh, Joe Malazzi was talking in the commentary that he was kind of uh, proud uh, at the beginning because... Uh, oftentimes when you have an A and a B story or an A and an A prime story, um, you kind of have to start both of them and then they kind of run parallel from the very beginning. And here is an A and an A prime story that begin at exactly the same point and they go, um, and then they diverge and go in two completely very different directions. Um, Mm -hmm. and from a writing perspective, that actually is really quite cool. Yeah. Um, so that was the idea. And then... At the end, you bring your A and your A prime story back together for the the climax, which yep. in this case was kind of a, an anti-climax because the heroes walk away while they survived, yes. presumably. I mean, right. we'll see them next week. So, but but they didn't win the day, um, right? You know, so uh, there is that dark moment there. Um, also. Uh, so that was one thing I want to talk about. The other mm-hmm. thing is, uh, I mentioned briefly that uh, they were talking originally about bringing Martouf back. Yes. Uh, J.R. Bourne, who's the actor who plays Martouf, he wasn't available, and so they had to rewrite the script uh, into something similar to what we had. But mm-hmm. all of that was in part because... So Sam clearly has feelings of some variety with uh, Martouf, and Lantash, whomever, mm-hmm. somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she had to kill Martouf, um, uh, you know, in that Divide and Conquer episode uh, mm-hmm. so that he wouldn't harm anybody else and, and all of that stuff. Um, and Amanda Tapping comes and says um, something to the effect of um, Carter d- never really gets a chance to resolve her romantic feelings. Right. Whatever was going on between her and um, Nareem never really quite gets resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, nothing really got, got resolved um, between, uh, uh, between Carter and Martouf. And mm-hmm. so this is an episode in part designed to offer that. And while she doesn't get that uh, resolution with Martouf because the actor wasn't around... Um, she is able, uh, I think, to get that uh, resolution to some degree uh, through Elliot with Lantash, through Lantash to Martouf. Mm. And that's one of those underlying threads uh, within this story as well, um, which when I learned that uh, made it uh, just added a layer of depth uh, to things that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. There was there was a lot about it, you know. I feel a little bad about being critical of it because they, they, you know, there was a lot that was. The phrase that's coming to mind is that there's a lot of lemonade that was being made out of lemons, but even that's a little harsh. (laughs) Um, 
Right. Like, I don't mean it quite like that. It's like, you know, there, there was a, there was a lot of good stuff in here. Um, it felt like there was an opportunity to either in that second episode, tell me more and keep the pace up. The pace felt higher in the first episode. That's for sure. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me more information in the second episode. Keep that pace up or resolve the getting out of the caves a little bit faster and throw yourself into another bad situation. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. You can, you can, you can make up another bad guy, uh, to run into on your way to trying to get to safety. I mean, like it just felt like it drew on a little long. That's all. Yeah. And as a result, it kind of dragged down the intrigue story, at least in my head. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where there's a, there's a criticism there. Um, but yeah, there's a, there was a, now I do, I, now it's my turn to ping around a little bit. I don't think I appreciated the significance of the munching of the, of the, of the ghoul snacks. So like, here's the point behind that. Yeah. We have, it's been mentioned that in, in you know, like, so like, every, and you even mentioned this at one point, every Jaffa has a ghoul inside of them. Yes. And these Gould have some sort of genetic memory. So yes, um, why, if there are so many Jaffa, why aren't there so many Gould? Where are they? Yeah, what's yeah. going on? And this episode answers that question because clearly they are cannibalistic. Yeah, they are taking mature symbiotes who could be found, could be placed into a host, uh, and they're being chomped on. Which is really disturbing. Um, I don't, I'm not feeling very disturbed. But why am I not feeling very disturbed? It's more like, um, maybe it's because I'm kind of like, there's a piece of me that feels like it's par for the course. Hmm. Um, which I'm kind of thinking uh, that observation is curious to me. So, you know, why, why did, why do I, why do I think that? Why did I feel that? Um. You know, that they started to munch on the symbiotes didn't strike me as completely unexpected. It was a little unexpected. I mean, I was just like, oh, hey, huh, snack time. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so the the impact, uh, I still feel like I'm missing a beat on the impact. I mean, I hear you. So and I'll yes. say that I don't think that I was surprised yeah. When, I mean, there, you know, when, when you get that first bite and you're like, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, do I think this is outside the character of Google to mm. do? No. Yeah, yeah, that might be. Absolutely yeah, right, not. Right, exactly. I think this is yes. right in pace for the exact type of bad guyness that Google yes. would do. So in that regard, it's not surprising to me. It's not shocking to me. Um, but there was also, um, at least for me, the first time I watched it, if I can recall correctly, uh, that uh, uh, that little bit of a whoa, okay, yeah, I yeah. buy that. Um, yeah. So you know, so there, I hear what you're saying. So I, I think I agree with you. I don't know. Maybe I'm just fleshing that out a little bit. I don't know. Uh, the the thing I think that I'm starting to kind of arrive at is. I I'm now trying to imagine that every human form Gould that I've seen to this point is aware of that 
um, maybe even participates in that. And we've only seen it now. So the, you know, it, I, I suppose it is plausible that this is like a latent fear inside every ghouled symbiote that they won't actually make it to implantation. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. That implantation is a uh, security blanket. It's not a perfect one, but it's a good one. And implantation with a sarcophagus is a great one. And implantation with a sarcophagus in an army is a really, really, really good one. Like, and so the ruthlessness and the desire for conquest and the need for, uh, for flesh buggies in the form of, of hosts, um, and the, the just clawing nature of Gould society is this artifact of the knowledge that if they don't claw their way to the top, they're literally going to be lunch. Yeah. I hadn't even thought that through, that through all hmm. the way, but I totally buy it. I agree. Yeah. And we haven't actually seen, uh, we haven't seen many um, adult Gould unblended in the series. No. Um, obviously, we saw uh, the one that went into Adrian Conrad. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just kind of a special situation there. Um, we saw with uh, Hathor, Hathor had a Jaffa whose symbiote or whose Jaffa symbiote was um, fully mature. Um, and in that situation, she needed more Gould followers. And so, mm-hmm. you know, using that to blend somebody. Um, those are some of the, the rare cases where we've seen unblended symbiotes beyond uh, with those in the, the, the water, the primordial water of, of the Unas mm-hmm. planet. But that's a little different story there. And then, of course, we saw uh, in the first season, um, Jackson um, chewed up a whole bunch of larval Gua'uld. But yep. those things would have been ones prepared to go into a a Jaffa at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, right. So that's a little bit different. So we haven't actually seen adult Gua'uld unblended very often. Um, right. And so here you go. Apparently, you go. it's not just the system lords that are cannibalistic. It's all Gua'uld or quasi-cannibalistic, at least. Could be. Um, yeah. Uh, makes you wonder Something if they ate each other as, as uh, snakes. Right, right. And I, and I totally unwittingly made a chew on it joke just now by accident um <laughs> i totally missed it i know so uh, no it doesn't matter because it, it didn't matter because i was just sitting there just like yeah something to chew on because i mean i meant it in the literal way not literal Whoo. um anyway um oh okay. yeah no it, uh, yeah I, enough talking less talking all right so i think we have chewed on this for quite some time <laughs> um and it's chompy chompy I know that we've talked longer than normal, but there have been two episodes yes. to talk about. But I think yes. it is time to shift yeah, gears. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, agreed. Um, and so I will ask you, Brent, um, uh, to give me your rating. And I'll ask for just one rating for this as a pair. So this is a All single right. episode. Uh, what's your rating for this story, Summit and Last Stand? Summit and Last Stand. All right, so uh, I like the story. There's a lot of good information in here. Uh, and our conversation has 
also helped me sort of expand the universe a bit, whether or not that's uh, apocryphal or not, doesn't matter. It, it helped, you know, engage, which I like. Um, the the technicalities of the show itself were, uh, it, it, it's consistently good. It's well acted, it's well shot, it's well directed. The pacing I thought was a little weird, but I'm not sure that's a criticism of the direction and more just a reality of how the, you know, where the story was going. So the writing might be a little bit weird because they switched writers hmm. one story to the next. Um, that might've been resulted. They had stayed with one or the other through the whole thing. Um, I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give this one a six, but the reason why I'm giving it a six is that I really want to give it a five, but I'm going to give it an automatic plus one because I'm pretty sure that a lot of this information that I was shown here is going to be foundational to stuff going forward. Mm, mm-hmm. I could, I was picking up that vibe right. um, that this, this episode, these pairs of episodes did a good job of establishing that as something that's going to be important later. Okay. How um, about you? What'd you I'm think? a little bit surprised. I wasn't expecting a six. Well, um, it's, I'm giving it that plus one. It's very right. intentional. Like if I didn't think about that, it would be a five for me. Right. Good, but not super good. So, um, yeah, I, I think that your overall analysis is is good here. Um, you know, the, the this is a, an episode that that holds your attention for the most part, but it doesn't mm-hmm. like grip you. Um, you know, I, I had this last time when I was watching it for today. Um, I was actually having a hard time staying awake for the second half of it, and mm. that actually <laughs> had more to do with just the fact that I was utterly exhausted and spent. Sure, and that really doesn't have anything to do with the episode. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm going to give this one. Uh, I'm going to give it a five and a half. I mm-hmm. think you're right, um, and and it's it's fair that that this episode certainly uh, it brings a lot of stuff together for this mm-hmm. episode, and it does become uh, a foundational piece of the series moving forward. Um, and your supposition therein is right on, um, but I'm not certain. I I don't think I can give it a six because even with all of that. Because there are better episodes out there. Ah, um, yeah. And there are better episodes that we have seen already uh, that I've given sixes to. Um, and I don't think that this quite sits as well with that. But it's still, I mean, it's a five and a half. It's not like it's garbage. <laughs> no. This is worthwhile television. Yeah. All right. So you give it a yeah. six. I'll give it a five <laughs> and a half. Yeah. And what do now, people have to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the time has come to for the reckoning. Well, mm-hmm. you know, sure. If you want a reckoning, <laughs> uh, we could probably do that. There it is. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Uh, we have Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. She says, "I'm gonna do it and say yeah. both Brent and Zach will yeah. lock in that seventh chevron." Ooh. Zach, knowing the future, will go to an 8-7 chevron. <gasps> wow. It's so much lore. It is true. It is that. And set up for the future. Yes, it does that. Osiris is back. Yes. The Royale poison is used. Yes. That yes. ending with Lantash and Elliot. Yes. Anubis yeah. is introduced. And 
Uh, yeah, okay. And spoiler, this is the big bad evil guy that you've been waiting for, Brent. Yes. <laughs> um, we've already talked about that, so I can share that. Uh, yeah, this yeah, was an excellent tense pair of episodes that kicks up the whole meta into high gear. Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Glad I, to hear I, that. That's a, I mean, that's super exciting. There you go. Yeah. Uh, JD says. Hi, JD. A fun episode that will have a lot of setup. Daniel continues his evolution to be uh, later Daniels. Uh, personally, uh, personally, uh, six and a half. Zach is going to give it a seven, and I think Brent will go with a six because he'll have woke up cranky. <laughs> I'm glad I gave it the plus one bump. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. We have Helio. Woke up cranky. Hi, Helio. Helio has to agree with Kimberly and say eight for Se- for Zach and an eight for Brent. Wow. With so many developments. Wow. Like why the Gould are not increasing in numbers as fast as yeah. it once w- was once. The secrets, Anubis, the tension, Osiris is back, etc., etc., etc. So mm-hmm. much good things. They will all give eight chevrons. <laughs> oh, oh, I feel like boy. a little disappointed. Wow, yeah, I, I, I feel bad that i'm not okay here we go tim maybe, maybe folks will have us rewatch this hi tim tim says seven chevrons for zach so many callbacks and so much looking to the future six chevrons for brent again because yep. of the callbacks because of how pivotal the episode is i will also give it a seven so it makes seven by the skin of its teeth uh there you go yeah so i think tim uh, you're absolutely right. It is a pivotal episode. Everybody's been saying that. Uh, it just, and and I don't want to poo-poo that at all. But, uh, um, yeah, I. We just feel differently. Yeah. All right. And we that's have, how you know we're different. That's right. We have Sean. So Hi, Sean. Sean has a gif of John Stewart eating popcorn. Staring at somebody waiting for the answer. Uh And he says, this is an eight out of seven all around. Wow. A lot of tense moments. It's one of my favorite multi-part episodes. There's so much set up for the future. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, This makes me feel good and bad, but mostly good. Mostly. So Lisa says, this is a great two-parter with so much happening that if it's not at least a two-hour podcast, I'm going to be disappointed, you guys. (laughs) Well, we're we're barreling towards it right now. (laughs) By the time it's all said and done, we're going to hit darn close to two hours. Yep, that's right. (laughs) Um, She says, I'm going with an eight for Zach and a seven for Brent. Unless he hasn't had a good breakfast this morning, then we all, as we all know, all bets are off. All bets are off. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there you go. Kevin says, hi, Kevin. I'm hoping to get caught up before the end of season five. And I hope that you do, too, Kevin. Um, Go for it. (laughs) You can do it. You You can can do it. it. You can do it. All right. Austin says, hey, there is that Rayal chemical again. Great episode that brings a lot of important characters together. Maybe a little overacting in this one, unfortunately, from the Gua Woolds, but I think that is their M.O. Seven out of seven yeah. for Michael Shanks's arms, six for Zach, and <laughs> six for Brent. 
<laughs> I have noticed those armbands did make uh, Michael Shanks is uh, you know there's some so, tickets at the gun shows there. So uh, those were awful props or costumes. They're costumes um, because they would never stay on quite right, and it was just a struggle for Michael Shanks to keep those things on. Oh, the armbands, and those armbands, and I yeah. noticed that when after the crash. And he kind of jumps over Selmak and leans down to get to Jacob and Selmak and, and see how they're doing. One of them yeah. falls down to his wrist and he just takes it and chucks it behind him. And I'm like, that that couldn't have been uh, scripted. That had to have been just the way things work. He's just like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, just finished with this. We're, we're, we're done with this. Yeah. Get out of here. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, well, Austin, so far you have been the closest to our rankings. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, Jacqueline is next. We've got a lot this time. Hey, Jacqueline. We've got Jacqueline. She says, I'm going to say seven chevrons from both Brent and Zach this week. There's so Hmm. much going on in the episodes that starts to set up a lot of elements going forward in the next season or three. Mm Mm-hmm. You are absolutely right. So if I were simply to rate this episode on what it does for the future to set up things... And this this is a pivotal episode. Um, I think that I would have to agree with what most of folks are saying. Uh, that it is uh, way I up there. I see how it is. Um, I see how it is. But y'all future knowers get together and you're all like, you know what? This is the best thing since sliced bread. And there's a little old me sitting here being like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And you're all like, this is amazing. And I'm like, okay. But I'm yes, also trying my right. best, Brent. To anchor myself on this episode, right? You did a fine job. You did a fine job. Okay. So we have Susan who says... Hi, Susan. I give this one a solid seven. It's a ghouled Mardi Gras laced with a little bit of cannibalism for fun. (laughs) For fun. (laughs) She continues... Zippy's back with some eye candy system lords, Osiris uh-huh. and Ball in his debut, and Anubis looming on the horizon. Daniel finds a pot of symbiotes on the menu for dinner, and Osha will be busy assessing fines for the dangerously pointy chairs at the Toker base. Yes. And the lack of seatbelts in Jacob's cargo ship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, they don't like You're crash. absolutely 100% right on all of that. <laughs> Loved the funny detail of Daniel's escape pod tipping over after transport. Yes, yes. Um, apparently, yes. that was like a rubber uh, prop. And sure. while it did have a, you know, we saw a little bit of bounce, which it should have had, and it did, but apparently it had an even bigger bounce that they had to kind of trim down a little bit. Oh, post. funny. Um, the, the, she continues, uh, loved the funny detail of Daniel, right? So a moment of silence, please, for the heroic passing of Martuf slash Lantash slash Lieutenant Elliot. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing these two episodes so rich in mythology might get a seven from both Brent and Zach, but to paraphrase Lord Yu, do not make me look foolish by allowing me to guess wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. That's funny. Well, none of you are foolish. No. At all. Not at all. Um, But uh, we do, uh, yeah. And we have one more prediction from (laughs) David. Who Hi, David. gives us a Chevron encoding Anubis bias buffer. Oh! 
Uh, he says a great but great but flawed in some ways. I won't go into great detail because you're probably already at an hour and a half recording time and at least at least and need to wrap things up. Uh, yes, yeah. you're right, David. Yeah, Absolutely. We're, you we're are. minutes away from the two hour mark right yes. now. The new villain has a name. Yay! Lantash is alive. Yay! Elliot and is dead and so is Lantash. Aw. Gould, eat Gould occasionally. Ew. Does this really Mm -hmm. count as cannibalism? Yeah, I think it does. It's the host eating and digesting, but the symbiote is in control. Hmm. The Mm. system lords are united. Yay. I mean, boo, bad guys. (laughs) Uh, Gould procedures and practices are explained. Interesting. Stuff Mm -hmm. happens and things are set in motion. Cool. Questions are left unanswered. Like, how do the Tok'ra know the poison killed symbiotes? Who did they test it on? Zach? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Wait, okay, so are, are you asking, David, if they tested it? Did, did they test it on me or if I know who they tested it on? No, they tested it on you. Yeah, okay. Who? I, I don't know. Anyway. You. Anyway. Summit will get a six chevrons for the tension and intrigue from Brent, and a six mm-hmm. chevrons because Anubis from Zach. Last Stand will get five chevrons because it did not quite satisfy as much as Summit, but it was still very good from Brent, and five and a half chevrons from Zach because Anubis! I am going to declare that basically perfect. I will agree with you 100%, D- David. So I don't think, David, you have nailed our predictions perfectly yet, but I think that that you do right here. I think that you're right. I I really appreciate this episode. It is a really good episode, but I think there are some flaws in it. Um, And and I delighted in the the first episode and thought the second one was a little bit weaker, but, you know, I did that five plus one, right? Like, I was kind of like, yeah, "Eh, but, you know, I got a feeling this is important. Yeah. Right on the money. So... Uh, therefore, for all of you out there who are actually keeping track of who gets our predictions <laughs> correct, <laughs> by the way, whoever is doing that, please send me the link because I would love to see that. You can add David's name for these episodes because David got it yep. right. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Right on the money. So, well, now that we are darn close to the two minute, two hour mark. Yeah. Two minutes. Two, <laughs> two hours. Uh, there'll be some trimming in there. So, so two hour will hit a little bit. So the next episode, yes. Brent. Yes. Is entitled fail safe. Mm. And I ask okay. you, what is fail safe all about? Fail safe. Okay. All right. <clears throat> next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. In this world, it seems that people are enjoying entertainment audio entertainment typically, delivered directly to various devices that they own, and the variation of the audio entertainment is enormous. There are literally millions of options. This feels like a dream for somebody that likes to listen to things. Now, in and amongst this compact, not compact, expansive aspect of entertainment, there happens to be one particular show that seems to delight in anticipating what its listeners would think about the host's views on a particular subject. 
In fact, every week, they get together and they examine the receipts that were given to them over the course of the several hours prior to recording this audio segment that indeed describes the anticipations of their listeners and they delight in the examination of them. I think I said Mm -hmm. the exact same thing twice. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to them Mm. is that indeed the SG-1 team is going to give them an insight (gasps) by which they can appear to line up perfectly with their listeners every time indeed they can read the reviews prior to recording the session oh and they can create for themselves a fail safe i don't whatever join us next time on walking through the stargate where brent and zach do not read the things in advance and thereby make their predictions as pure as possible Yes, well, that is true. We do, don't read the comments until I read them live as we... It would completely podcast. defeat the purpose. So, but Yeah, yeah. So do the SG-1 team travel through and find uh, themselves a host of a radio show? No. No? No. Uh, I'm not even what certain they travel to them through the Stargate to find themselves in a strange new world. Oh, wait, they stay home? I don't remember. We'll have to watch the promo to find out. Well, maybe they do a podcast. What do you think? Well, uh, you know, I'm sure they could do a podcast, but I'm pretty sure that in 2002, podcasts, like, didn't exist. They didn't really exist. The iPod, iPod was just barely, barely there. Yeah. Right? Came out in 2001? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, all right. All right. Well. Okay, fine. So I'm wrong, but I'm ready to figure out exactly what Failsafe is about. All right. I am hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. That's a big An mystery. asteroid is on a collision course with Earth. We've oh, no! We've calculated its length from end to end to be approximately 137 kilometers. Oh, boy. Oh, no! I've seen this movie. It hits Paris. <laughs> 11 days Gosh. and 16 hours. All life on Earth will be wiped out. The system lords deny any knowledge of this incident. Of course they deny it. Huh. A desperate plan is formulated to destroy the asteroid before it strikes the Earth. Big asteroid problem here. (laughs) When the deadly secret of the asteroid is revealed, is there any hope for Earth at SG-1? It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. According to their latest calculations, SG-1 has crashed into the asteroid's surface at over 60 meters per second. Oh no! Oh no! Holy cow! That that that's I'm intrigued. I'm looking forward to it, but that has absolutely nothing to do with podcasts. Nope. But I will tell you this, Brent. Yeah. That after that episode is consumed in a visual and auditory manner by you and yes. me, yes. there will be a podcast. Not in one ah. week, but in two weeks' time. That's right. And then we will discuss this fail-safe and Uh see how podcasts may or may not fit into it. We may or may not discuss that. We will find a way. Sure. If we even remember. My brain is... Part of me... No, it's all good. Part of me kind of really wants to try to make a... I can't even remember the name of the song. What was it? The Aerosmith song from Armageddon. Oh, gosh. Whatever. There was a joke in there somewhere. It would have been great, but brain's fried. Fried brain. Yeah. So for all of you listening to this, just note that normally we record on a 
uh, Saturday morning, but for yeah. various and sundry reasons, uh, not least of which Zach had a work meeting on Saturday morning, and that Boo. prevented him from doing things like fun podcasting stuff. But um, uh, it is now l- much later in the evening, and <laughs> yes. we're tired and our brains are, are, are cooked a little bit. <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> All my jokes end at 9 a.m. It's not... Well, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? We don't even start recording until 9 <laughs> Thirty. <laughs> okay, so, no, Brent, Brent, we ostensibly hmm. gather at 9.30, and we're lucky to actually start recording at 10.30. Uh-huh, I know. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm way funnier in the morning. Sure. I probably am, too. In any <laughs> case, <laughs> tell us what you think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or on Facebook. Uh, like and follow the the page and join the Facebook group. Click the buttons and the and, thumbies yeah, the, the, up the, and turn the knobs and, and all the whatever the it takes. <laughs> <laughs> you know the the bleeps and the bloops and the and all of the that bleeps stuff. The bleeps and the bloops. Um, That's right. And uh, with all of that, I say I'm Zach, and I'm Brent, and this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. Bless you. Excuse me. I'll probably cut that out. Please. Ah. Yeah, I might leave that in too.